The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, it's the end of the summer. It's the end of the summer. Can you believe it? Uh, If you have kids, how excited are you to send your kids back to school? Anybody know what I'm talking about? No, they're awesome. Kids are amazing, aren't they? No, seriously, if you're a parent, man, this is a, uh, it's sort of a sad time, but it's sort of an exciting time. You get a little bit of time back to yourself after they go back to school. Well, hey, we're glad you're here this morning. Welcome. My name is Matt, and I am one of the pastors here at Story City Church, and we are honored. If you are here for the first time, we literally roll out the red carpet and want to make you feel like you're at home. And so after the service, stop by the First Steps table. We'd love to high-five you and give you a gift and tell you thank you for being here this morning. Um, So we're in a series called Till Death Do Us Part, and this is the last week of our series. And if you have a Bible this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to finish up today. And let me me just recap where we've been, and let me tell you where we're going to go today, all right? So in the first week of our series, we um, tried to uncover the mystery of marriage, like like all of these uh, notions and these ideas that we have in our culture about what marriage is really like, this unrealistic idealism, this expectation, this fear that marriage can even be good. And then the second week, we talked about the, the power in marriage, which is the idea that all of us in marriage need to learn how to wash another sinner's feet. I don't know if you remember that Sunday, if you were here, um, and if you had not been here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, but that Sunday we said there is one question. I'm getting a little bit, a bit of feedback here. Um, I, there was one question that we said, um, I want to ask you guys to ask your spouse, the person you're dating or your marriage partner this week, and remember that question? What was that question? Remember what it was? What can I do for you? Did you ask that question, by the way? A little bit of accountability. Did you ask that question that week? Okay, very good. Wow, not many of you did. Um, I just want to say before you, I asked the question. In fact, my wife said, you should preach a marriage series every week of the year. This is amazing. And so um, I, I, I did ask that question. And then last week, Josh preached, and it was amazing. And then Today, we're going to finish up this series, and uh, we're going to talk about um, the, the, uh, this idea this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. We're going to talk about the priority of marriage, the mission of marriage this morning, all right? So let me do this. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for today. Um, God, you are... A good father to us, Lord. And uh, Lord, the, the priority of marriage and the mission of marriage is very clear uh, when we understand your priority for us as believers. And so, God, I pray that you would instruct us this morning. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hands to move, and feet to walk in the direction that you would have us to go this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and an amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Let me just read it for you, and then I'm going to go back to Genesis and read a few verses and kind of set up the scene for us this morning, if that's okay. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he did so to make her holy, verse 26 says, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Uh, does your work have a mission statement? You work somewhere where like you put the mission statement on the wall. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, maybe some of you guys are like, this is what we are trying to accomplish in the place where 
we work. Have you ever thought about a mission statement for marriage? Like, what is it that God is trying to accomplish through this concept of marriage? What's marriage for? What is the goal? If you have a pen this morning, I want you to write this down because I'm just going to give it to you right up front, and then we'll try to unpack some things as we walk through this series. And by the way, this morning, if you walked in, you've not been here for the last four weeks. Um, if you're not married, you don't have to tune out this morning because this morning is going to be very, very applicable to you. If you have something to write with, I want you to write this down. The mission of marriage is friendship. The mission of marriage is friendship. When we look back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we had this idea where God begins to create, and he walks through the six days of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we hear God speak about the creation that he has just spoken into existence, and he describes that creation with one word. And the word that he uses seven times in chapter 1 is, it is what? good. He says it seven times over and over. It is good. And then we get to chapter two and, and God has made man in his own image. And we have this, uh, this verse after God has said, it is good. Everything that he's created, he's labeled it. He's stuck an adjective to it. And he said, this is a good thing. There was only one thing that God created in Genesis one and two, when he says it is not good. And in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, God says this, it is not good that man should be alone. Think about that just for a moment, right? Think about that just for a moment. Everything he's done, everything he's set into motion and put into existence, he claimed and described as being good. But the man that he created said it is not good that he is alone. So in this creation account where everything is good, we have to ask the question because it's a relational question and it impacts our thinking and our thought process this morning as we unpack the mission of marriage. What is it about Adam's condition in the garden that was not good? Think about it for a moment, right? Like, like if you've been around here for a while, you heard us talk about the story of God. And in the beginning, when, when God was creating, there was perfect harmony in all creation. There was harmony between the creation and man. There was harmony between creation and God. There was harmony between man and God. And so, um, and so Adam is in this perfect relationship with God, yet God God says in this moment, it is not good that Adam would be alone. What was it about the condition that Adam was in that called it not good? Well, it gives us, a, God gives us a clue in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He says this, let us make man in our own image. Let us make man in our own image. So the question is, when God is speaking here, who is the us that God is referring to. If you have been around church for a while and you understand orthodox theology, you understand that the us in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, is this, this concept of a triune God, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that are in perfect union with one another, perfect relationship with one another, and perfectly love one another. And so God makes a statement about man that it's not good that he would be alone. Back in verse 26 of chapter 1, he says, let us make man in our own image. We get this allusion to a triune God who is in perfect unity with one another. And the reason why Adam's condition was not good is that because we were uniquely created in the image of God. We were created uniquely to reflect the triune God. We were created in such a way that we were meant for relationships. Now listen to me just for a moment. 
So what we understand here is that we have this significant capacity for relationships. But when God says it's not good for Adam to be alone, he is making a statement that the vertical relationship that Adam had with God was not sufficient for Adam's time on earth. There needed to be something else. And what Adam needed was also a horizontal relationship. And so God creates this woman. The scripture tells us in chapter 2 that he took the rib from a man and Adam is sleeping while it all goes down. And so, um, and so we have this woman that God describes as a helpmate and a companion to Adam, right? Here's, this, here's, here's what's important for us this morning. Even in paradise, even in paradise, loneliness was a terrible thing. Loneliness was a terrible thing even in paradise. And that helps us understand this morning, this. Like all these things that we try to fill our relational void with, all of the things that we try to put in place of significant priority relationships, those things can't and can never fulfill us. It's important this morning because we understand this. When Adam had a relational need, here's what God did. God did not put a parent-child relationship in the garden. God did not put a, a, um, a brother-sister relationship in the garden. When, God, when Adam had a relational need, what God did in his response was, was to put a helpmate and a companion in the garden with Adam. He gave Adam a spouse. Now listen to me this morning. The primary relationship that you need to cultivate in marriage the primary relationship that you should be cultivating in your marriage is your spouse. And there's all, kinds of, uh, there's all kinds of things in our culture, in our lives, in our busyness that distracts us from that priority. So God creates woman. Adam is asleep. He wakes up, and he sees Eve for the first time, all right? If you know your Bible, you remember. Adam wakes up. He sees Eve, and listen to what he says. Remember what he said? This is what Adam said. Wow, nice body. Incredible curves. Man, that is a, she's hot, right? No, that's, that's not what Adam said, right? Adam said, at last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Genesis 1 and 2 establishes this priority. It establishes the goal in marriage. Now, listen to me this morning because this is vital to you. This is vital to you if you are dating this morning, and we're going to make it very, very applicable. The goal in marriage is friendship. It's not romance. It's not social status. It's not the fulfillment of your needs. It's not even happiness. The goal in marriage is friendship, and that impact, impacts us significantly because whenever we base marriage on any other grounds, on any other grounds. In, in Adam's day, I mean, I'm sorry, in Old Testament times, even in New Testament times, marriage had this uh, cultural connotation that you got married because it increased your social status. So you looked for someone who was horizontal or even a level above you that would increase your social status. Today, we have a different idea of marriage. Our cultural understanding ties it with our self-fulfillment, our self-actualization, our happiness. Both of those are ideas that the Bible does not affirm. The Bible does affirm that marriage on any other grounds besides friendship is an unstable ground. See, what we come to understand in our culture is that marriage is basically romance. We stoke the fires of romance and we garnish the relationship with friendship. 
The Bible says romance, I mean, marriage is basically friendship. And we garnish the relationship with romance and all the other things around it. So that leads us to this idea in our culture that we hyper, we're hypersensitive to this physical attraction to people in the dating process. So we, we, we need to roll the tape back just for a moment. If you're single this morning, let me just speak to you just for a few minutes. Um, in, in our culture, we, we, we hyper-promote physical attractiveness and all these other qualities. And marriage is, is more than friendship this morning. I want you to hear me say this. But it can never be less than that. Marriage is more than friendship, but it can never be less than friendship in itself. So we talked about this a little in the first week of this series, but let me re retrace some things just for a moment. If the goal of marriage is friendship, then the goal of dating is different than our, our modern definition, right? Um, what we're looking for in a dating relationship needs to be recalibrated. Um, there's a couple students here this morning from Atlanta. They were in my youth ministry, and they heard us go through a series on dating. And, uh, and, 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 and so there's a couple ideas I want to bring back to this for just for a moment, all right? So, so here's how we typically go about this process in our culture. Um, we either walk in a room. Uh, for me, it was a fraternity house when I was in college. You walk in a room and you scan the room, right? Like you immediately scan the room. You have this idea of what you're looking for. I don't want browns. I don't want reds. I want blondes. And I want a specific height and a specific shape. And so we walk into a room and we immediately begin to pare down the room. If there's 10 women in the room, we immediately pare it down to eight or so. And we're like, okay, these two I'm physically attracted to. We move across the room. We strike up a conversation and hope that at some point the idea of romance that got us to this moment where we're having conversation will eventually lead to not only just a very romantic relationship, but also, if possible, some sort of friendship attached to it. The difficulty in our modern way of, of, of looking for people we're going to spend our time with, and whether that's you walk into a room or you swipe a website or you click through profiles, the problem with that is that when we pare down people based on physical attractiveness, we oftentimes eliminate people who would make the best partners in life and in marriage. Because the goal of marriage is actually friendship. I've said this a, a, a hundred times in student ministry, and I, I have long believed this, that modern dating leads more towards sex than it does towards marriage. It leads more towards sex than it does towards marriage. And so what the culture says is speed up that process. Christ says, no, 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 no. Slow that process now. Um, I, I love the book, uh, I love the Song of Solomon, and I, I have a theological perspective on the Song of Solomon that is actually a book that teaches us much about relationships and dating and marriage. I also believe it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, but I believe God gave it to us as a very graphic um, novel, if you will, on this idea of marriage. In so Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 7, um, I believe it's Solomon and a Shulamite maiden who are coming together. And in chapter 2, verse 7 in Song of Solomon, the Shulamite maiden, they have gone through this process of observing character, observing each other in a social setting, and now they're in this phase where there's this overwhelming physical attraction. By the way, I, as a pastor, I am not saying to you this morning we should downplay the physical attractiveness and the sexual attraction that we have to a potential mate. I got married under those pretenses that my wife was also thinking those 
those things, all right? And so I'm not downplaying that, but we get to this point in the Song of Solomon, and the Shulamite maiden is overcome with these emotions and these feelings. And she makes this one statement that I think is a great statement for us in modern dating. She says this, do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. So what we get in this cultural melee of, in, in this understanding of, of dating and relationships is that we speed up the dating process and it's accompanied by this confused motive for dating. And, and then what happens is marriage, when we approach dating that way, has the potential to short circuit immediately before you ever get to the process of standing in front of the minister and giving your vows and trading wedding rings. So we have this potential to short circuit our um, great potential in marriage. And so when we read scripture, we really will find these biblical principles for dating. We'll find these biblical principles for marriage. And, and we need to understand this. This is not just for dating and marriage. But when we break spiritual principles, those spiritual principles will break us. When we break spiritual principles, they have the potential to break us. And so God has this plan. He has this idea for how we should pursue marriage relationships. And so I think we need a redefinition of marriage. One day I want to preach through the Song of Solomon with you, Will, and this will probably be more applicable to the singles in the room than it will be to the dating people, but I just want to get there. And if we do, I would try to redefine dating for us, right? I would try to redefine dating for us that a date is simply when a guy accompanies a girl to an event and the only focus during that time is simply to enjoy the event, right? I believe there are no expectations. Nobody owes anything. I believe the idea of dating in our culture should be such that, girls, the only thing you owe a guy on a date is a good attitude. That's all you owe him. That's all you owe him. Um, I, I, I sort of gave, uh, I I gave you a little insight into Laura and I's dating relationship um, a few weeks ago. I got some text messages from some of you guys about that, by the way. Some of you texted my wife about it, by the way, which caused friction in my marriage, all right? So <laughs> she was not here. She was on the East Coast. And so let me clarify a few things for you, all right? Um, some of you are like, oh, Pastor Matt said he wasn't physically attracted to his wife. That's not what I said, all right? Some of you went back and texted my wife that, and she's like, what did you say this morning? I'm like, baby, I love you. And, and I'm like, they're crazy. They were not paying attention. They were checking Instagram while I was preaching. They didn't have a clue what I said. The reality is I did almost every single relationship that I approached in life. I did every one of them wrong except for the relationship I had with my wife. And I feel like um, the only wisdom that I have for dating comes from the one relationship that I had that, that I felt like we honored the Lord in. And so uh, the first encounter that I had with Laura, she was helping my, these guys that lived above us move into their apartment. And she was actually dating the guy in the apartment above us. His name um, was Garrett. And they were moving this mattress, Garrett and Tim and, and, and Laura, they were moving this mattress up the stairs. I'd gone upstairs to see if they needed help. Nobody was there. So I came down. As I'm coming down, they're coming up the stairs. Garrett is on top with the mattress. Tim is on the bottom with the mattress. And, and so I jokingly pushed the mattress. I'm like, hey, you guys need any help? I'll be back later. And, and that was all I said. 
A couple months later, I met Laura, and Laura's like, hey, you're the guy that cut my, pinned me up against the wall and cut my ear. <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh, I don't think so. That way you got me mistaken with somebody else. She said, no, I was coming up the stairs. I was behind the mattress when you were coming down, and you pushed the mattress up against the wall and pinned me up against the wall, and you cut my ear. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea that was you. I'm so sorry. That was my first encounter with Laura. And so after that first encounter, at this point, she'd broken up with Garrett. They'd been dating for three years. And then Tim, who was Garrett's roommate, said, hey, you need to talk to Laura. She's single now. And I'm like, well, you're single now, and she's single now. So if she's so amazing, why don't you date her? I'm not interested, right? And so, and so, um, so he sets up this deal, and I'm working at this restaurant at the time. And so they keep coming into the restaurant that I'm working in. She said that she loved the Fiesta Lime chicken. I don't think that's what she loved, because she kept coming in on the days that I was working. It was really strange. And I have her journal today. I, I have her journal from those times, and I can, I can prove to you that it wasn't the Fiesta Lime chicken, all right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so she comes into this restaurant that I'm working in, and, and, and this is all happening over a few months. And um, there was this, there was this uh, restaurant next door to the restaurant that I was working at. The restaurant was called Texas, Texas Roadhouse Grill. And so she'd been coming in for several months with Tim. She loved the Fiesta Lime chicken, but I'm like, nah, I know why she's coming. And so I jokingly went up to the table one day. I'm like, hey, we should go to Texas one day. Like in my mind, I'm like, Texas Roadhouse, the restaurant next door. And she had this weird look on her face. And I'm like, ooh, that didn't go over well. Maybe I shouldn't have been that forward, you know? And then like the next day, Tim was like, hey, I think she meant you ask her like to go to Texas, like on a trip or something with her. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. And so, and so all this is happening over several months. And then the illustration I told you a couple weeks ago, we went to this restaurant as a group of people. We didn't say anything to each other. And I'm like, okay, I'm not attracted, not physically. She's in kids ministry. Do not text her. All right. I'm just not attracted because I don't think we've got a connection here, like a relational connection. That was what I meant when I said I'm not attracted to her. I was physically attracted to her. Yes. And so we have this meeting, and, I'm, and then I go over to her house, and then I see her serving all these people, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I see her in a different light. And then at that point, after the dinner at her house, I ask her, hey, would you just like to go grab lunch with me one day, right? And so I took her to this restaurant. We called it back in the South a meat and three. You know the one I'm talking about? You get a meat, you could get roast beef, you could get turkey, you could get chicken fried steak, and then you got your choice of three vegetables. And not only did you get your choice of three vegetables, you also got a dessert and you got a sweet tea, and it only cost me $4.95. And some of you guys are like, Pastor Mike, you're really cheap. No, I'm not cheap. Listen to me. Let me help you out, man. If you start out at Boa Steakhouse, you can't go up from there, right? <laughs> so we went on our first technical date. We went to a meet and three. Then we went to a baseball game after that. Um, and then at that point, after 10 months of observing Laura, right? Like none of the processes in the past had ever gone like that before. The processes in the past were like, man, she's beautiful. I'm really physically attracted to her. And then we were like, okay, let's see if there's some sort of connection. This was the exact opposite. 10 months of observing. At that point, I'm like, I, I, I like what I see. 
And at that point, I said, I want to pursue her towards marriage. So in my mind, I had this concept of dating, where dating is just two people at an event, no expectations from each other. But the next level is something I refer to as courtship. You call it whatever you want to. I could care less if you disagree with me. This is just how I think about it, all right? And so at that point, I said, this is a woman that I want to pursue towards marriage. I went to Florida. I asked her dad if I could pursue her towards marriage. I was like 27 at the time, and I still thought it was appropriate for me to ask her father if I could pursue her towards marriage. He showed me a bullet with my name on it and he told me he would kill me. And, um, <laughs> and so after the dating process, then we courted for 10 months. We knew each other for 20 months. We knew each other for 20 months and I told her, I will never tell you I love you until the day that I ask you to marry me. Why? Because love's thrown around in a way to, to get what guys typically want, and I don't want to abuse that word. And so the day I tell you I love you is the day I'm going to ask you to marry you, ask you to marry me. And so there's a longer story there, but I, I don't want to un, un, tell that whole story. Um, you know what happens during this process if you're single this morning, this dating process? See, we get it all mixed up. Like, I wish you could be in the counseling sessions, the conversations, the relationships, the, the, the times where we hear from people that have started with the sexual attraction. They had sex, they messed up, and all of a sudden now trust is broken, and they're trying to figure out how do we make this thing work where it's supposed to be a relationship that honors the Lord. When we reverse engineer this process, God says the goal of marriage is friendship. And so if you start that way, you will succeed later. But if you start in a false way, you're going to have problems somewhere down the line. And so I think there's just a few things that are needed in dating. Number one, you need time. Number one, you need to cultivate a relationship. Number three, you need restraint. You need to um, practice discipline in your dating relationships. Because when you get sexually involved, you short circuit the process for how God has created this whole thing. The progression in the Song of Solomon goes like this. Up to verse 8 in chapter 1, there's this character attraction. They kind of see the person they want to marry. Then you have this social attraction where they test the person that they want, that she tests the person that she wants to marry. In chapter 1, verse 8, she says, I love your name. In other words, I love what people say about you. When it goes on, when she tests this social interaction, she talks about the maidens rightly love you. He's got a good name and people respect him. And then finally, the last step is this physical attraction where you're like, you're affirming, okay, the first part is right. The second part is okay as well. And by the way, hear me as your pastor this morning, physical attraction and sexual feelings are God given emotions. Those are not bad things. I got married under that pretense, but that's not the progression of how it should go. We don't reverse engineer it where we focus on the first thing first. The confusion over the goal of marriage now complicates the success of marriage later. So let me do this. Ephesians, oh my gosh, I'm out of time. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 through 27. Jesus tells us his goal for us. His vision for us is our future glory. He uses this idea of presenting us as a spotless bride, a blameless bride who is holy as he presents us before the Father. That's Jesus' goal for us. He did not die for us because we were lovely, by the way. He died for us because we could be lovely. His goal for us, his vision for us, is that we would become holy and spotless and blameless on the day we stand before the Father. Now listen to me. Marriage 
is directly linked to that same purpose. Marriage is directly linked to that same purpose. Listen to me. If you have something to write with, please write this down. Marriage is helping each other become our future glory selves. Marriage is helping each other become our future glory selves. That's God's vision for us. That's Jesus' vision when he went to the cross for us to present us as a holy, spotless, blameless bride. And marriage is directly linked to that. Helping each other become the new creation that God will eventually make us into. Now, let me give you this definition of friendship because I think you, and I don't have enough time to unpack it today, and we'll just have to end the marriage series here, all right? Um, one pastor said, friendship is a deep oneness that comes through a mutual journey to the same horizon. Friendship is a deep oneness that comes through a mutual journey to the same horizon. I think it's important to understand this idea of oneness um, because if we build our, 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 our if, if in marriage, romance is the goal. Um, can I speak to you just for a minute, single folks in, in the room? If romance is the goal, like eventually that's going to fade, right? Looks eventually fade. Um, the size 32s become size 44s. The tight skin becomes flabby skin. The toned skin here becomes flabby underneath eventually. It all fades. And if that's the goal, if that's the purpose, then there's very little staying power in marriage. Secondly, if financial stability is the goal, then I wanna tell you this morning, like if you're looking for someone who can make you financially stable for the rest of your life, you can ask people in our auditorium this morning. That can change in an instant. You can go from a six-figure income, millions of dollars in stock equity, and the next week have no job. Financial stability can change in a moment. And if that's the goal, then it all can change in an instant and there's very little staying power. Marriage on any other grounds besides friendship is not enough to sustain you. 10, 15, 30, 50 years. Um, so this is how marriage is described. Ephesians 5.31, a man shall leave his father and mother and they shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This oneness idea. This idea of two separate people becoming one individual union, developing a new culture, new ceremonies, new rituals, a new way of life. If you ever stand in front of me as I officiate a wedding, I will do it in two weeks from now. Two weeks from now for a couple in our church. You're gonna hear me say this. Marriage is a covenant companionship which involves mutual commitment and responsibility. You will share alike in the responsibilities and joys of life. There will never be an issue for which you will say, that's her problem. There will never be a struggle your husband faces where you can say, well, you have to figure this out on your own. You're becoming one just as the body of Christ is becoming one. And I love this idea. When companions share a sorrow in marriage, the sorrow is halved. When you experience joy, the joy is doubled. Two become one. And there's all sorts of things that become, that, that interfere in this oneness idea. Father and your mother. Some of us are enslaved to our parents' ideas of marriage and how they raised us and things that they did. And we become enslaved to, to our parents and it separates this oneness idea. Some of us in our modern culture um, try to derive our emotional stability, our, our, um, our, 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 um, 
our primary nurture and emotional stability from our kids. Our kids can drive a wedge in between this one is our career. If our career is our spouse, the reality is the career will get all the creativity, the career will get all of the attention, and your marriage will struggle. Friends can become in between this idea of oneness. If you have any other friends, regardless of gender, that you enjoy being with more than your spouse, then you're in a tremendous amount of trouble. Marriage has such significant staying power. You understand this if you're married. If everything around you in your world is falling apart and your marriage is strong, you can walk out the house every single day in strength. If everything around you in life is strong and stable, financial and emotional, yet your marriage is in shambles, you walk out the house every single day in weakness. Friendship has this amazing staying power in our marriages. And then finally, this idea of friendship is this idea that we're on a common horizon. The common horizon that we're all on is this journey towards the throne of God. That's the common horizon. That's that's why a believer and a non-believer can't get married. We have different horizons. We have different places we're headed to. We have different journeys. We have different passions and fulfillments. And if one is a believer and one's not a believer, and we feel like we have to suppress what's most important in our life because it may offend at certain points in our relationship. The common horizon that we're on in this friendship is the throne of God. And the idea is this. You see something in your spouse. You see something in your potential mate where you say, I see the journey you're on and I like where you're headed and I want to be there at the end because on the day when you stand before God you will have this aha moment see I knew you became everything I thought you could be the common horizon that we're on is this journey towards the throne of God and only friendship only friendship as the priority and the mission in your marriage can help drive you in that direction. Um, I, I want to finish with this. I want to be very applicable. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to be done. No songs after the message today. Um, so we finished the marriage series today. I, I hope it's been good and instructive and applicable to you. Um, but we wanted to end on a note that's, that's even more applicable if you are married, if you're engaged, or if you're dating this morning. And we have this idea that this idea of marriage friendship doesn't just happen. I don't know if you've ever been in a restaurant. You look across the room and you see this older couple. They sit down, they eat their meal, they get up and they leave. And you notice they never said a word to each other during the entire meal. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. Um, I don't think that's entirely sad. And I'm not trying to paint a picture of like, oh my gosh, see, that's what I'm talking about. This is miserable. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is sometimes marriages get like, I just don't know what to talk about today, right? And so this idea of spiritual friendship has this, these commonalities of transparency and honesty and vulnerability and, and being a blessing to one another. If you're going to cultivate this friendship, it requires one person saying, I recognize this is something you love. I'm going to step into this space and facilitate an opportunity for us to continue to know each other. So here's what I would like to do for you this morning. We've spent a little money on this process for you. This Friday night, if you're married and you have kids, we wanna give you a date night. 
Um, my wife and I paid $100 for childcare when we first got to the city. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, we're never going to go on a date again. This is too expensive. And so I realized for some of us, you're like, oh, I can't go on a date. I don't have the money to pay for childcare. We've eliminated that excuse for you. This Friday night at 5.30 to 8.30 in the Colony Theater, we have 25 volunteers who will be here who are going to help your kids have a, a tremendous time. They're going to have crafts and games and snacks. The older kids are going to watch a movie on the screen here. And for three hours, we want to give you a chance to be together and alone and to enjoy each other. And here's what I would just caution you against. Don't go to a movie. <laughs> Don't go to a movie because in a movie, you sit in a dark room and you watch a screen and you never interact. And that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to set up a moment where you can look across the aisle, you can look across the seat, and you can have conversation and communicate with one another. So here's how we want to facilitate. And if you're married and you don't have kids or you're engaged or you're even dating and you don't have kids, that's okay. The night is for you. We've created something for you as well. We've got a date night package out there. They're in brown envelopes. They're tied up with a ribbon. There's some candy and some, some stuff inside. There's some gum. There's stuff inside. But what's most important inside that packet, it's, it's a four-step journey. And the journey is the drive. We've created the conversation for you. The dinner the dessert, and if you're married, the next morning, all right? <laughs> if you're single, skip that part, all right? <laughs> but we've taken, we've eliminated every excuse not to sit across from someone who is significant in your life and to begin to look deeply into their soul and say, I want to become your best friend because we're on a journey towards a common horizon, towards the throne of God, and nothing is more important than this. So, after, we, after I pray, you walk out of the auditorium. You can just pick up a bag. If you're married, no kids, dating, no kids, engaged, no kids, just pick up a bag. You can head out. You don't even need anything else. If you have kids and you want babysitting this Friday night, child care, it's going to be awesome. They're going to love it. Sign up on the sheet out there. This afternoon, we're going to go live to our entire community. Everybody in Burbank, LA, we're making it live. We have almost 3,000 emails from people who have come to events that we've done. And this afternoon, if you don't sign up today, we're going to open it and we're capping it at 80 kids. So if you want next Friday, sign up, tell us your kids' names and ages, and we'll take care of them next Friday night. It'll be amazing. We want to facilitate that for you. We believe in the family at Story City Church. And we want to facilitate that for you. I want to pray for us. No song after the message. You guys can head out and enjoy a wonderful week. Next week, we start a new series. And then on August the 20th, we have a very, very important day. We're going to celebrate. We're going to cast vision. Some incredible things are going on in the life of our church, and we want to unfold those to you. Jesus, thank you for today. God, I thank you that you are not obscure or abstract as to your purpose for us, your vision for us to present us, according to Ephesians chapter 5, as a spotless, blameless, holy, and pure bride to the Father. God, this morning, I'm grateful that you've been very clear that marriage is directly linked to that very specific purpose. God, I pray for marriages in this room. I pray for dating relationships in this room. I pray for engaged couples in this room. Jesus, I pray for single people in this room, God, who want to get married, God, even who have these ideas and expectations and fears about marriage, God, I pray through the Spirit of the living God and your word, you would convict us about the right and appropriate and honorable way to approach this process, God. And God, I pray the result 
is healthy marriages in our church. God, I pray the result is restored relationships in our church. God, I pray for couples in this room who have lived together for years, yet they feel like they're estranged. Jesus, I pray that you would tie the knots back together and two separate people would begin to understand that they are in fact one and it can be good and it can be glorious even though it is hard and it is difficult because that is your intention for us, Jesus. Lord, we love you. So in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We love you guys.